0: Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: Hello and welcome to The Sidebar, presented by True Crime Daily, taking you inside the courtrooms of high-profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based in Los Angeles and previously an L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at joshuaritteresq or at joshuaritter.com. We are recording this on Friday, July 28, 2023. In this week's episode, a Green Bay woman is convicted in less than an hour for the brutal murder and dismemberment of a sexual partner, and that same jury has now determined that she was not legally insane at the time of the killing. Plus, prosecutors contemplate charges against an Alabama woman who now admits that her abduction and disappearance was all a hoax. But first, breaking news as a U.K. jury acquits two-time Oscar winner Kevin Spacey of multiple allegations of sexual assault. Today, we are joined by Brian Silber, a former prosecutor, civil litigator, and legal analyst you can catch on Fox News, CNN, and Court TV, among many other outlets. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I know you follow these cases closely. I've seen you do commentary on TV, but before we jump in, could you tell us a little bit about your background and current practice?
2: Sure. So, uh, I've been practicing law for over 20 years. Uh, my specialty is federal criminal defense, uh, where I focus on white collar crimes. Uh, my specialty actually is I recover, uh, seized property every year. Somebody having their bank account seized, uh, money seized at the airport. Uh, that's really where I do my my best work. Um, but I also wear another hat. Uh, I'm also an expert in use of force uh, by law enforcement. Uh, and in that capacity, I work pro bono uh, for the Police Benevolent Association, uh, where I represent police officers who get involved in uh, use of force situations. Uh, so for example, uh, I'm on call this month. Uh, it started today. Uh, I could get called out at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to some crime scene where a shooting occurred and uh, represent the police officer on scene. Um, Before I entered private practice, uh, like you, I was a prosecutor. Uh, I specialized in domestic violence cases. Uh, I was in a special unit. Uh, I also served as a supervisor, uh, a lead felony prosecutor. Uh, So I like to say I've uh, been around the block uh, more than twice.
1: <laughs> very cool very cool where were you a prosecutor at
2: uh here in Broward County Florida uh most gotcha. recently i would say the most famous case uh just this week uh last week actually was the uh YNW uh Melly uh homicide oh, yeah. trial uh and we do have a very colorful
1: storied past with some famous cases uh here in Broward yeah it does seem like florida pops up on our our news feed for this <laughs> podcast a few times <laughs> oh yes <laughs> Um, Well, listen, thank you again for coming on the show. We're really excited to hear your thoughts on these cases. So let's jump right in. First, we go to London, England, however, where after 12 and a half hours of deliberation, a jury in London, Southwark Crown Court has acquitted actor Kevin Spacey on all charges. The actor had faced seven counts of sexual assault, along with two more serious charges related to engaging in sexual activity without consent the last charge carried a potential sentence of life in prison. Three of the four alleged victims claimed that the actor had grabbed them inappropriately while Spacey was the artistic director of London's Old Vic Theatre. Meanwhile, a fourth man alleged that Spacey had performed a sex act on him after the man had fallen asleep or passed out. Spacey at all times vehemently denied the allegations, even testifying in his own defense that he was merely a big flirt who had possibly misinterpreted signals or made clumsy passes at men in the past outside court the actor tearfully thanked the jury for their verdict and indicated that his next step was to attempt a career revival all right Brian jump right in did you <laughs> did this verdict surprise you
2: uh no i actually had a very open mind about it but that's because i come to the table as a practitioner um you know my personal thoughts are as follows there was a time in our country and in Western society where uh, victims of harassment uh, really were muted. You know, those things uh, very frequently were uh, swept under the rug, confidential settlements were entered into, and victims just didn't really have the voice that they were entitled to. Uh, so, of course, the Me Too movement exploded, and society has, you know, kind of changed its tune on that issue. But I think the pendulum uh, has swung in the complete opposite direction, where now it's gone maybe a little bit too far, where accusations have been uh, received as convictions. Uh, all you have to do is be an accuser, and all of a sudden uh, you're telling the truth and you're a victim just because you say so. But that's not really true either. you know. Uh, and I think Kevin Spacey's trial uh, really shows the evolution of this issue. Um, not all allegations are true. Uh, that's just the plain and simple fact. And I can tell you as a criminal defense attorney, I have acquitted, uh, people who were accused of very serious sex offenses, uh, by proving that they weren't even present. Uh, I can think of one case where I went and got the GPS data from my client's cell phone that proved he was six miles away where a victim very vehemently, uh, accused him of a sexual crime against her. Uh, and it just simply wasn't true. It wasn't possible. Uh, I also had eyewitness testimony that showed he was uh, not even present. Um, so the fact of the matter is, like any other crime and any other offense, you have true allegations and you can also have false allegations. And, th- and that's what a jury is for. That's what the, the court system is for. Um, and clearly the jury uh, court system in this case uh, made a decision uh, after hearing the evidence and weighing the testimony. And uh, uh, I respect that. But I, I think it's very telling. About uh, where uh, the issue is going, it's it's certainly evolving, and, and and I think in the right direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I think what the people keep asking uh, me, you know, does this mean it's kind of the the end of the Me Too movement, and what you know is this uh, like you referenced pendulum swinging? I think what it demonstrates, and what you you've kind of alluded to, is that there's a wide divide between making allegations against someone in the public forum, on social media, and what can be proven in court. And I think we're seeing that demonstrated, certainly in Kevin Spacey's case. And another thing to point out is that what's happening in court is this isn't a finding of innocence. This is a finding of not guilty. In other words, the standard has not been met, meaning that there is some difference between a person who may have been very righteously harmed But there's just not enough proof of it to hold that person responsible in court now i'm not i'm not saying that's what took place here in this case or in any case in particular but i think it is a demonstration that you know just because we may be seeing acquittals in some of these cases does not necessarily mean that you know there's a cultural shift in victims are no longer being believed but i think it is a demonstration that sometimes there is not proof and sometimes people do make false accusations. I, th- I I, I mean, you pointed out an example. I'll give you a, a, a war story of my own. I had a client who came into my office and he was being accused with rape and kidnapping, all, all sorts of awful, awful stuff. And in the mi- in middle of interviewing him, he goes, well, do you want to see the videotape? And I go, what are you talking about? And he had one of those ring type devices. It was like a ring or a nest or I, I don't know what you want to call it, but it was in his apartment. He was in a studio apartment. So it showed the entire apartment and it showed the interaction between these two people and nothing that he was being accused of took place. But the allegations that were me- being made would have put him in prison for decades. And so those, I think, are nightmare scenarios. But totally. I firmly believe they are the exception. I don't I'm not trying to say that Nobody can be trusted in allegations, but I also think it's a mistake to say that every single allegation has to be taken as true on its face. Um, Going back to Kevin Spacey here, though, in in a move that was surprising to some, he chose to testify on his own behalf in this case and and gave some uh, uh, what has been described as very emotional testimony. There are, unfortunately, in the UK, they don't allow cameras in court. So we don't have footage of it. Um, But how impactful do you think that was for jurors to actually hear from him himself?
2: I have to conclude that it was very impactful because he won his case, you know, and, you know, certainly in a situation where someone is in a what they call the typical he said, she said, or in this case, he said, he said, uh, you know, the person should oftentimes take the stand and tell their side of the story you know, that's a very case specific decision. Um, I think when they had a chance to hear from him, it, added, it acted as a rebuttal uh, to what the alleged victims were saying. And at the end of the day, the jury is going to size everyone up. They're going to look them up and down, look them in the eye, listen to how they testify, listen to how they answer questions, uh, look at their body language. And they certainly believed uh, Mr. Spacey enough not to convict them. You know, uh, you know, and on that point, you know, you said something interesting. Sometimes they don't have enough evidence. You know, people don't realize what that means. And I like to explain it as follows Think of the evidence or, you know, the information you would need from your doctor to convince you to have, let's say, brain surgery, as opposed to telling you, hey, uh, just go to the pharmacy and get this antibiotic and take that. For me to go take an antibiotic for a problem, okay, I'll listen to my doctor. But if you're telling me i got to have major surgery where maybe I might die in the surgery, you're going to have to give me a good reason. There's got to be something compelling here. A criminal conviction is just the same. In society, in our legal system, before we take away a person's freedom and we label them a uh, felon, a, a criminal, you got to have a threshold of evidence that is of a much higher standard. And in this case, the prosecution couldn't meet that standard. doesn't mean the guy's totally innocent, but it means they could not convict him and take his freedom from him. They have to come to the table with something greater than what they had.
1: I like that analogy a lot about the brain surgery, and I'm Thank going you. to steal it and not give you credit for it when I actually <laughs> it's free use it in to to <laughs> uh, Last Last point on this. I know this isn't your area of expertise when it comes to kind of PR and entertainment, um, but uh, people are asking, what... Do you think this is enough for him at this point? He's now been, he had a criminal case in Boston that was dismissed. He had a civil case uh, brought by Anthony Rapp, who was the original person who made allegations against him that was, uh, he prevailed in that civil case. Now he's got this criminal case out of the UK that he's also prevailed. You can't, I don't think there's any way to describe this short of a victory for him. Do you think that's enough for him to mount uh, a resurgence as an actor?
2: I don't know in the long run how it will affect his career. You know, certainly a lot of people who've done a lot of bad things, uh, not to say that he did something wrong in this case, he was acquitted, um, you know, have recovered. Um, but I think it comes down to to two things. Uh, first of all is where you sit on the spectrum of this type of allegation. You know, there's people that, you know, no matter what is said or done, they're never going to believe him just because he's been accused, you know, uh, the, the accusation for them is the conviction and they'll never change on that point. And secondly, I, I think there's a cultural element to it. And especially at Hollywood, that is very fickle, very superficial uh, and has a, a, a loud, you know, echo chamber, you know, herd mentality. And I think if people felt that it was okay or acceptable or good to like him again, then they'll do that. Uh, but if the herd mentality is, no, we still don't like him, then you're going to see people saying they don't like him. You know, they just go with the group. You know, they're acting in their own self-interest. Uh, you know, they don't have an independent thought, you know, uh, you know if you gave them a million dollars for it. Um, so I think that it, it's still out there. Um, but certainly, he's definitely been tarnished on some level. He'll never be able to escape the accusation, uh, no matter how many times he's acquitted. And that, that's just an unfortunate reality. But hopefully yeah. his career will recover. You know, he was acquitted. He should be entitled to resume his normal life like any other person acquitted.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'll add to that. We're not just talking about any kind of actor here. We're talking about a two-time Oscar winner who's, before all of this, was very beloved, had you know very popular movies, a very popular series on Netflix. This is this is a person that obviously had a huge audience before, so I imagine that will play some role in some producer or studio's decision matrix somewhere down the road. But, you know, time sure. will tell. We will see.
2: It, if he can make him money, they'll hire him back. It's that simple. <laughs>
1: That's probably probably is that simple, yeah.
3: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill.
1: Let's move on now to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where earlier this week, a Brown County jury convicted Taylor Shibiznas on all counts for the brutal murder, dismemberment, and sexual assault of her former sexual partner. It took jurors less than an hour to reach a verdict in the case. Now that same jury has rejected her claims that her state of mind at the time of the killing should mitigate her criminal culpability. Shibiznas was allegedly using drugs, At the time of Shad Therian's murder, she admitted this to authorities when she initially confessed to the killing in a recording which was played for the jury. However, under state law, voluntary drug use that leads to criminal actions does not qualify as a mental disease or defect as far as this defense goes. Jurors also heard from the defendant's father, who is currently incarcerated, testifying to having his daughter institutionalized and spoke about her decline in mental health after her drug use increased. The defense also presented testimony from two psychologists who alleged that Shibizna's exhibited symptoms of bipolar disorder. However, prosecutors argued in their closing arguments that Shibizna's insanity claim was an utter farce, claiming that while her drug use may have contributed to her state of mind, she was not suffering a significant mental disease or defect at the time of the murder. Late Thursday evening, just yesterday for, for the time that we're doing this recording, the jury rejected the defense arguments, deliberating for just under an hour. Ten of the jurors were needed to reach that conclusion, but the decision was unanimous. She business appeared to wipe away a tear after the verdict. She'll be back in court in September for sentencing. The first-degree intentional homicide charge carries a life sentence. Brian, this was one of those cases where... The, the actions of the defendant are so outrageous and so outside of our realm of kind of understanding, even with all the gruesome, horrible stuff that we see in our light of work, that it appeared to just be insane on its face. Well, I, Obviously, the jury didn't have any problems with that. Why do you think true. that was? What are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, uh, let's recap real quick what we're even talking about here. Uh, you know, this lady who's been convicted of, of, the murder, uh, she engaged in something that was above and beyond anything that is even remotely human. Um, and, and I'm not even talking about the nature of their sex act. You know, they got high, uh, they injected each other with a sedative, uh, also with meth. Uh, I believe, uh, they found, uh, cannabis also in his system. Um, but they were choking each other during sex. And she admitted to the detectives that, and this is in the probable cause affidavit, that's where I read it, and it's also in some news reports, um, that even as he was spitting up blood and turning purple on his face, she choked him harder and harder. Uh, Then, of course, after (laughs) he died, she decapitated him. uh, She uh, cut out his genitals. um, But before doing that, she performed oral sex on his decapitated head, supposedly, Um, then she proceeded to cut out each of his organs individually and then drain his body of blood into a bucket, which she proceeded to dump into a shower drain. Um, That is just, there's no humanity in that. There's just no humanity. And you look at her, uh, you listen to how her uh, interrogation was described. Uh, She was very lucid. She admitted to it. Uh, She almost, uh, in certain parts, maybe kind of made a joke of how she... Forgot the head, um, you know. She she was pretty clear about it. You know, there's a difference between being nutty uh, and being crazy. Obviously, she's crazy and having a major mental health disorder that makes it such that you don't have legal liability. She's not in the mental health disorder category. And having practiced for as long as I have, I really feel there's three types of offenders out there. There's people in the first category that have a behavioral problem. They did something wrong. You know, maybe they shoplifted. They drove drunk. They got into a fight and they shot somebody. You know, there's behavioral problems. Then there's people who have mental illness. You know, someone who's truly psychotic, who hears voices. Uh, Maybe they're schizophrenic. Uh, You know, you think of like a a homeless person you might see on the street talking to himself and yelling. Uh, Clearly, that guy's not living in reality like the rest of us. But then there's the third category, and I really think she falls into the third category. And honestly, it's evil. It's just evil. It's not mental illness. Yeah, she was on drugs, but it's not drugs. She's a person, in my opinion, from what I hear of this case, uh, who has the outer appearance of a person, but inside there's just no humanity. You know, even in the animal kingdom, animals do not kill each other in this way. Uh, she, She said she enjoyed it. Um, she even asked the officers uh, if they knew what it was like to love something so much that you had to kill it. Um, she's just evil. It's not she. She doesn't belong in a mental institution. There's no medication or treatment for this. Um, she's just an evil, evil creature, and I think she deserves to be in prison. I think the jury got it totally correct.
1: Yeah, I, I like how you laid that all out because it, it is important. We've talked about this on this podcast before, but for listeners to understand it. There is a difference between what we, um, you know, may colloquially call insanity. You know that person's crazy. That that's an insane thing to do. And then there's a difference between that and medically what somebody is considered to be psychotic or suffering from mental illness. And then what the legal system considers to be insane for the purposes of this defense. And that's a very specific and 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 much um, narrower definition for, for mental disorder, because it has to not just be suffering from some sort of defect or disease, but that that defect or disease causes them to not even appreciate their actions to the point that they don't appreciate it's morally wrong, legally wrong or otherwise. And obviously you look at a case like this and I think your gut reaction is my, you know, the way you just described it there, it's insane. And I think medical professionals would agree she's got problems for sure. but but in a legal definition, you're right in that in that um, that interview that she gave, there was never an idea that she believed that she hadn't done anything wrong or that somehow she was not the person that she was and, you know, fighting against mysterious powers or something like that. She knew what she did. She just didn't really care. And so I think you're right. That The jurors got it right, but I'm also curious as to what you think about how quickly they did it. And I, I'll give you my f- thoughts really quickly, and then I want to hear what you think is that, to me, when a jury comes back, when they came back on guilt within less than an hour, it, it wasn't that shocking to me because the the evidence was overwhelming. There, It's, you know, she admitted to it. They've got all of the evidence, not a problem. When they came back in less than an hour on insanity, to me, that means this is a jury who probably already made that decision the first time around. They they were all on board and didn't want to waste time. They got back there, sharpened up their pencil and said, let's take a vote. What are your thoughts?
2: I, I think they knew the type of offender they were dealing with uh at the end of the guilt phase. Um, you know, yeah. her, her interrogation and the evidence of what she did really spells out for them everything they need to know. Um It's not going to matter if some defense expert takes the stand and says, oh, by the way, she's bipolar. Okay. A lot of people are bipolar, but they don't do what this lady did. And certainly, if she was so crazy and so out there and had such a mental problem, it would be exhibited in her interrogation. You you would, you know, I keep thinking, you know, I I mentioned like the, the sad homeless person you might encounter on the street who's yelling and screaming and talking to themselves. You know it when you see it. You know that level of insanity when you see it. Um, and that's just not what she was. She was very calm and collected. Uh, you know, she's got family photos posing with her her husband and her child. You know, uh there's you know, the way she conducted herself in that interview. Um, yeah, she's crazy. Of course she's crazy. Look what she did. Um, but she's not that kind of crazy. And I think yeah. it's just so fairly obvious. Uh it wasn't hard for them to make a decision. There was nothing for them to debate. I mean, what's the debate? What are they gonna say? What's the What's the opposing viewpoint? It, it just isn't there.
1: Brian, right. I want to briefly contrast this case to another recent case, uh, it, it, but it was an acquittal in the case of Alexis Sabaret out of Minnesota. Just last week, a judge decided that Sabaret, who was convicted of beheading his girlfriend inside of a car, dumping her body and fleeing, has now been found not guilty by reason of mental illness. The judge noted that Sabaret's medical history includes a traumatic brain injury Symptoms of mania in conjunction with psychosis and a significant history of noncompliance with prescribed treatments. Now, I know every single case is different, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, let's compare cases where people are beheading other people or dismembering them. My question was I wonder how much do you think the role that a judge was deciding this rather than the jury may have had on? on the decision and difference in these two cases. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, first of all, I'm not as familiar with this second case as I yeah. am with uh, the should business matter. Um, but it sounds like from what you've told me that he suffered from psychosis, uh, psychosis is someone not being in reality. Um, number one, uh, number two, uh, you know, you need to see how that person presents compared to, uh, should business. Uh, You know, I wonder what his interrogation looked like. I wonder what he looked like in court. You know, I I keep saying it. Some of this stuff, you know it when you see it. Um, You know, and sure, when you try a case in front of a judge, uh, there's pros and cons to that. You know, on the one hand, the judge is a legal professional who has a lot of experience, you know, sizing these things up. And on the other hand, they're a legal professional who has a lot of experience sizing these things up and is not a member of the community. Who's going to bring the community's perspective to making a decision about guilt? You know, they're two very different uh, legal justice tools. Um, so you're right, it's very hard to compare these two, but I would have to guess that in the second case, uh, the gentleman seems to have a much more well established and pervasive mental health uh, disorder that contributed to that ultimate verdict. And by the way, I understand he decapitated his victim, which is horrible. Uh, in and of itself is a, is enough uh, to get a horrible conviction and sanction. Uh, but she business, my God, uh, she just went on and on and on and on. And it was just, I mean, it didn't stop with decapitation. That's where it started. Um, her, her offense is very uh, much further down the rabbit hole, uh, no. I think. Uh, not to minimize the other one. Um, but she is just beyond the pale. Um, yeah. And certainly that is a factor too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was, and you're absolutely right. It's it's unfair of me to try to compare cases just because they kind of share some facts. But I just thought it was interesting in a case where you have two the jury coming back so quickly on these verdicts, and then you have a judge who decides the opposite way on two cases w- which at least share some similarity in the outrageousness of how the murders were convicted. And I, it just got me thinking about kind of, you know, jurors sometimes tend to be, uh, I think it's fair to say tend to be perhaps, uh, driven by emotion more than a judge might be. And it sounds like to me, you come back with two verdicts that are under an hour. You really do not care for this person. And you've convinced yourselves long before uh, the, the the closing arguments of either pr- prosecution or defense let's move on to our final case out of Hoover, Alabama where in a bizarre turn of events an Alabama woman who was missing for over 48 hours has made a statement denying her kidnapping and the events of her disappearance 26-year-old Carly Russell was driving home from work when she made a 911 call telling dispatchers she was stopping her vehicle to attend to an unaccompanied Toddler on the side of the road. When authorities responded to the scene, they found Russell's vehicle along with her personal effects, including her purse. But neither Russell nor the child were on scene. After Russell resurfaced around two days following her disappearance, she told police that she had been kidnapped by a man who came out of the trees when she went to check on the minor. Police later held a press conference, which called into question the facts of Russell's disappearance, including security footage from her job which depicted Russell grabbing toilet paper and other supplies, as well as information from her internet search history. This included information related to placing Amber Alerts, as well as a one-way bus ticket, and searches related to the kidnapping film Taken. Through her attorney, Russell has now cleared up the story, taking responsibility for her actions and asking for forgiveness. Prosecutors have yet to press any criminal charges in the hoax, but are reportedly weighing their options. What kind of charges, Brian, do you think she could face here? And do you think that the prosecutors will actually uh, go down that route?
2: Uh, I absolutely think they should. Uh, What this lady did was uh, horrible. You know, she got a lot of people very worried and caused law enforcement to go on a wild goose chase, which, by the way, isn't free. You know, that costs money and it takes resources away from other necessities. You know, when you have a missing person case, it's hands on deck situations, which drew law enforcement away from other legitimate calls. I'm sure there's people that called 911 and had to wait because all the officers are on, on duty that on that shift. were busy dealing with this all for nothing. Um, insofar as what they could charge her with, certainly it's false report to law enforcement. Uh, you know, the whole thing was a complete host. And she didn't complain about it. You know, she should have immediately told them she should have put a stop to it as soon as it happened. It should have never happened. You know, uh, and I really do hope that the uh, municipality there uh, sues her for the cost of what they had to pay because it was the taxpayers that paid for this wild goose chase. This money doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from taxes. Good, You know, hardworking people that are waking up early every day, going to their job, fighting traffic, They got to take the kids to school, sit at work with their boss, and they're responsible and they pay their taxes, paid for this lady to send everyone on a crazy adventure, and she should be held accountable. You know, if I was a judge presiding over this, there's no question in my mind I'd be sending her to jail. That was absolutely uh, wrong and terrible. Uh, You know, clearly she's an unstable person, but she's not the kind of crazy we were talking about earlier. Uh, she should definitely be held accountable for her actions. I, I think it was very wrong what she did
1: now. Yeah. It's so unfortunate too. I mean, yeah. it, they, I, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on this because to some extent I feel exactly as you do that, the, what a waste of resources and everybody's energy. I mean, her parents were on the today show. I mean, it was the whole country was concerned about this poor woman, um, and then for it all just to be a hoax and we don't even know the reason for it, which is one of my huge questions, like what, why, what was she trying to get out of it? And then I go, well, do we really want to be putting somebody like this away in jail? But I think there, I mean, this is my, just my opinion, but I, there, there might be some in between, right? I mean, just because you find somebody criminally responsible doesn't mean you're putting them in prison. And so maybe something with probation, certainly paying back the costs, but I don't think you can let somebody just walk for causing this kind of trouble. But my, my honest feeling until we hear actually what she has to say about it is that she, I don't think she realized the reaction she was going to get. It, it, it makes me wonder if she was trying to get back at someone or get some attention, but didn't realize that she would be on the national news. Um, what, 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 what jump in please what, what do you think, well, think are the, like because this. we've well, se- seen these before in the past other people doing this type of stuff it, where's the motivation here
2: it, it does happen from time to time and frankly it, it's psychologically driven there's something not right with her okay but it was premeditated it's not like her uh you know brain was missing through all this she's not a psychotic no. person you know uh she certainly had the wherewithal uh to plan what she was doing uh to research uh the you know the uh you know amber alert for instance she did a google search uh on the amber alerts what do they cost you know um I I I don't sympathize with her at all. You know, think of you know they definitely had a helicopter running at that time. Okay. That's called a Papa unit, okay, and police talk. Okay. You got a missing person on the side of the highway. There's no question in my mind they were running a helicopter with a searchlight with the infrared Think of what it costs to fly a helicopter for one hour, okay? And they probably ran that thing all day and all night looking for her, okay? It's just wrong. The public shouldn't have to pay for that. And, you know, there has to be accountability. I'm sorry. I don't care what stupid emotional problems you have or what boyfriend you broke up with. You know, she's not psychotic. You know, this was a total hoax. It was probably for attention. It was probably for sympathy. Maybe she wanted to become a, uh, you know, influencer and get herself on tv or write a book about her experience who knows
1: yeah Uh,
2: but but it was totally wrong and you know look of course i'm a criminal defense attorney i exist to keep people out of prison um but you also have to be objective in in my opinion uh and there's some offenders that do need uh, a certain type of punishment and i think the extent that she upset so many people you know for instance think think of the people she worked with uh i read an article that she worked at a spa and you know this happened on their busiest day of the week uh they, they couldn't turn their customers away but what the employees did was in between customers they were out on the street handing out flyers and they really you know did as much as they could to help find her because they were worried for her and yeah. to cause that level of, of upsetness to so many people and and the expense and the drawn law enforcement uh i'm sorry you, you just don't get a pass on that a slap on the wrist you well, know that
1: that to me is, is you, you point out the the expense to the community in law enforcement, but it's the the pulling of resources that's even more offensive to me because, I, I mean, I don't know, but God forbid, what if they had another emergency and they've got right. all of these officers working on this case that turns out to be a hoax and, and who knows whose other people's lives may have suffered and they didn't make the nightly news. Right. That's the real to me, where you really start to see the selfishness in all of it. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to say give anybody a a, a walk here. And I think certainly with as much attention that it has garnered, there has to be some sort of message sent that this kind of conduct cannot be accepted because otherwise I think you're just going to see a bunch of copycat people who just, if she has, if she suffers no consequences from this, you're right. Every other influencer out there who wants to make a name for themselves is going to start to pull some ridiculous stunt like this. But anyhow, strange story, sad <laughs> story. Uh, but, I, you know, we're all glad she's alive and safe. And it wasn't actually the tragic thing that we thought was unfolding before all of That's us. True. But in any case, Brian, thank you so much for coming on this week. Where can people find out more about you?
2: Thanks for having me. Uh, so you can find me two ways. Uh, Brian Remember my last name is spelled S I L B be like boy E R BrianSilberlaw.com. And that's also my handle on Instagram, Brian silver law. Those are the two best places to find me.
1: Fantastic. And I have your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at Joshua And you can find our sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCDsidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar.